This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm Jason Roundsville, joined as always by my co-host Dylan Ray, and we have for you today, um, straight out of Pope and Young, we have the the new, like, I don't know how new it is, but it's, it's I guess, new to some folks. We have Tim Rizuski, our records director. So, Tim, welcome aboard. Thanks very much. You bet. What was your official start date? I think it was June 2nd, I believe. I demanded that I got to go on my last fishing trip. So I think that was June 2nd. Okay, June 2nd. So, you know, I I guess since you've been on six, seven months now, it's it's about time we got you on to introduce you to folks and and, uh, let them hear a little bit about you and and the records program. You know, we've got folks that are listening that, that may not understand what that's all about. So we wanted to clear that up and and start 2022 off with a bang and uh let people know they still have time to get their entries in so absolutely yeah so give us uh just for those that that may not have had a chance to run across you get tim give folks a a little bit of your your measuring and your you know pny measuring background that kind of thing just just so folks know who you are sure well as you know, and as you and I didn't know originally, we're both from Oregon. Um, I grew up in Central Oregon, spent a lot of time in the Valley with a career and family. And I think I was in my mid-20s when 
my grandmother uh, said, hey, do you want your grandfather's buckhead? She was moving, and I said, yes, it's a very large deer. And I went to the sportsman show in Portland to get it measured. And I don't know if I was staring weird or, or what happened, but the measures at the time, who I later found out were pretty legendary in the measuring world for the Northwest, asked me if I wanted to learn how to measure. And I said, sure. And I started measuring shortly after that for the Oregon record book. And at the time, um, Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett were accepting applicants to become measurers, but it wasn't a sure in. It wasn't a shoe in. You got evaluated and they looked at geographical location and determined if they needed measures. And so it was five years before Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett sent me an invitation. So somewhere in that 2004, 2005 range, um, I went to the class after invitation in both Chatfield and then again later in Missoula. And I've been measuring uh, for Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett ever since. Nice. Well, excellent. And uh, I've got a couple of things that I'm waiting, uh, that, that I can't wait to get measured here one of these days if we ever connect up. So what is... Um, you know, you talk about measures and and we'll get more into that. But, you know, for somebody out there who has a maybe a buck on their wall or or uh, out in the rafters in the in the garage, what's the best way for somebody to go about getting that measured? Well, and I, it's kind of fascinating. A lot of people really like to go, oh, what did so-and-so get this year? What did so-and-so get that year? And I really like those older antlers or older skulls or, or whatever, because it kind of tells another story, maybe a story that <clears throat> it kind of finishes a story possibly. I mean, it was grandpa's buck or your buck when you're a kid or whatever. And the easiest thing to do, I, I run into people all the time that go, well, I've got this, this buck I want to get measured. If you know what the internet is, log on, you go to our website, pope-young.org. And there's a section in records about measures and about finding one. And you look in your state and you look for a name and a city that's closest to you and you give them a call. It's that simple. And you work out a date with the measure. You meet up. He tells you what it is. And it is what it is. You know, whatever it comes out to, that's what that's what God made it be. And then we talk about the nice things about Pope and Young, talk about other animals in the area with a small fee. You put it in our records program and then it's there forever. Very nice. Never forgotten. Yeah. It's not a hard process. It's really not. It's not a hard process um, for the hunter at all. The, the hardest part is sometimes if you have just harvested an animal recently, it's waiting that 60 day drying period. But if it's an older animal, the, the biggest delay is finding the time that works good on both you and the measures calendar to get together. Very good. And um, do we? How many states do we have measures in? I believe every single state, and not a thousand percent certain, but I think every Canadian province or territory. So, so yeah, good. we're just about everywhere. Okay, pretty good coverage. And I know that that you had you you mentioned that it took you about five years from expressing interest in measuring for Pope and Young to get an invite to one of the one of the measuring 
workshops. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I know you and I have talked and that's one of our focuses is, is we want to make that, um, an easier process for folks and, and more readily available. So, um, how do you see that? Like if somebody wants to be a measure, if they say, Hey, you know what, maybe I've, I've looked at a couple of YouTube videos or whatever. And so they have a basic understanding, but they want to know legitimately, how do I measure this, you know, buck or bear or bull? Um, and they want to be an official measure, what's the best course of action? Where would they go to, to let us know they're interested? Well, oddly enough, it's this internet thing. Again, you go back to our website, we've got an application right there on the site. You submit that to us and our records chairman and I and our coordinator compile those over time. When we're ready to do a workshop, we send out a, an invitation to a number of people, and then the first so many, we're trying to get 24 to a, a workshop, the first 24 that respond. You know, we do ask some key information on the, on the application. We want to make sure that you're an outstanding citizen and that you have references that will vouch for your, your character. But for the most part, most people that go to these workshops have a little bit of measuring experience. They're measuring dad stuff and their brother stuff and their stuff. Or maybe they've been measuring a long time with another measuring organization. Um, but a good number of the measures don't have any experience whatsoever. And that's okay. Um, we're going to teach them. We're going to spend four days measuring every species that we keep record of. And uh, then at the end, there's a little test to make sure you're paying attention. But, you know, the, the main thing that I think we're doing a little bit different now than we did in the past is we're also training these people, sharing with them what being an ambassador to, you know, being an ambassador for Pope and Young. Because we, we aren't just a record book, you know. We do want to promote and we do want to protect bow hunting. And one of the first people in Pope and Young that, a lot of bow hunters meet is a measure. So we're really going to emphasize that a little bit more. We want them, we want more measures. We want to find places where we need them, but we also want to find people who want to do it. And by filling out an application online, getting that to us, we're going to be doing workshops um, a little, hopefully with the COVID thing slowing down over time, hopefully we'll be getting more and more workshops out there, getting more measures certified. And then we put their name on the website and we wait for the phone to ring. Nice. Okay. So basically check out the website. And if you're interested, just, just let us know so that we can keep you in the loop and let you know when we have workshops coming up. You know, Jason, we need to mention beyond measuring um, everyone take time today or this week to go check out our website because we just uh, kind of throughout the holiday season relaunched a new website and it is awesome it is it's an incredible website so go check out our new website uh which by the way huge shout out to tim for helping uh with that but uh, everyone should go take time to look at our website because we just relaunched our new one yeah tim Tim came on as the records director uh little did he know he'd also be our uh website our new website correspondent so um, definitely. Well, that's that's not too difficult of a task. I kind of did that for a long time, anyway, with uh, my previous career. So it was welcome to it was 
easy to step into. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And it is a very fresh, very well organized site. Um, we're getting great feedback, even with a soft launch. Um, you know, we always find a little things that you didn't find in testing that we got to tweak and, and fix a little bit, but it does. It looks great. And the robustness of the site for those that put content on it makes it a lot easier. It'll be up to date, and the content will be a lot more fresh than in the past. Site yeah. Games. And that's one of the things I'm excited about is we have the ability now, you know, for our team, instead of reaching out to a web developer to, you know, get on their calendar and their schedule to make changes. Now, all of a sudden, our team can jump in there and make those changes and change the photos. And so I'm excited about that, keeping things fresh and new. And, you know, along those lines, we've got a lot of new partners that are coming on corporate partners and you know, industry people and outfitter partners. And so it's, it's always nice to have their information up there and current for folks. So we're excited about it. I, I think it looks great. So it does look great. I was looking at that corporate partner section the other day. And frankly, even though, you know, it's not my, it's not my uh, bucket, it's yours and Dylan's bucket. I was shocked at how many we have. And uh, yeah. I'm excited this next week to spend time with you guys to learn more about that at ATA so that I can share what it means, too. I mean, I know it was there. I was getting, you know, stuff up and running with records, but it's an impressive program. I'm, I was shocked to see how many corporate sponsors we do have. Yeah. Speaking and it's, of ATA, Jason, you want to drop some? Dylan, do it. People? Run with it. Well. Uh, we will. I know there's a lot of people. I've I've gotten a ton of emails, ton of questions, messages. Will you guys be at ATA? Will you guys be at Dallas Safari? Will you guys be at all these shows? Um, the answer for most of them is yes. So find us um, at any show that you're going to be attending. All you've got to do is come up to our booth, mention that you heard this on the podcast, and we've got a free gift for you. Um, so find our booth, tell us that you heard it, heard this on the podcast. And we'll give you a free gift, guys. We look forward to connecting with you all these shows, talking with you, swapping hunting stories. So make sure and come and find us. But we also have a free gift for you. Absolutely. And uh, we always appreciate our podcast listeners. And so if you're going to be some of the shows we've got coming up, we have ATA in Louisville. We have Dallas Safari Club in Dallas, Texas. Sheep Show and Sheep Week will be there in Reno, Nevada. We'll be at SCI um, in Vegas. So uh, also Sacramento, I think uh, Tim and yeah. Dylan, Tim and Dylan, they're going to be at the uh, ISC show in in Sacramento, and also uh, the Portland Sportsman in Portland. Show. So yeah. um, we've got a bunch of them coming up, and looking forward. If if you're out and about and getting to one of those shows, please come and say hello. And and uh, if you tell us you heard it on the podcast, we'll, we'll give you a free gift. So this will be, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to this show season because we've got both of you guys on board. Last show season was just a, a mess with COVID. This one's coming back. It'll be interesting to see how everything goes, but uh, we're excited. We've got our, our team, um, Tim, Dylan, Heather, myself, we'll be out there with a bunch of our board members and volunteers and supporters and. And so we're, we're really looking forward to be out, being out and about. 
Um, yeah, it should be great. It should be fun. I, I know we're hitting a lot of places. And, uh, you know, one of the things about sportsman shows, you know, we all go there and we're kicking tires and learning about hunts and new gear and, and all that stuff. But surprisingly, there are a lot of shows, because we were talking about records, that do have measuring events at them. Portland is a great example of one. If you're in the Portland area, bring your antlers, bring your skulls, bring your horned animals down, and we can measure them right there at the show. That's that's a good opportunity right there. So um, for those of you who had some, have something that, that's just waiting to get in the, in the records program, here's your chance. Um, check out the website. Look us up. Find us at a show. Um, and we'll, we'll do everything we can to make it happen. Um, you know, Tim, for, for folks who are maybe newer to Pope and Young and they say, Hey, look at this, you know, Pope and Young, it's preserve, promote and protect bow hunting. Um, I like that. We were started as a records organization actually to promote bow hunting and to get seasons established throughout North America. Tell us where, where that records program is now. I mean, it's when you look at it, that a lot of our members come through the records program. Like you mentioned, their first contact a lot of times is with one of our measures, but I'd just like to get your take on the the records portion of the program and, and uh, what that, the niche that, that fits for us. Sure. You know, I'm as guilty as anybody when I thought of Pope and Young early on. I thought of it as just a record book. I didn't know what all Pope and Young did. I even believed that, oh, I didn't know that there was really a membership, but maybe I needed to have an animal in Pope and Young to be a member, and you don't at all. Um, this is one of the many great organizations out there that has a membership that does things outside of just this niche of records today you know records are great yes it's neat to see your name in a book but it's also pretty fascinating with our trophy search tool that you can that you can either use the free version or the purchased version online you can look up your home state or any state any species you can look and filter and search on a lot of different things and kind of like a almost another scouting tool but it's pretty fascinating to see where a lot of animals have been taken over time, it's a great piece of, of history. And by submitting, you know, your animal into the book, yeah, sure, your name's attached to it. But also, this animal sacrificed its life for the greater sport of hunting and for to feed our families and and the whole generational experience from that's been passed down in time, so do the record books get passed down. I'm I like to see when a guy brings one of his favorite bucks that he ever took to put it in the book. Sometimes it'll lead to more entries, but this is a representative of his of his hunting history, of his hunting career, if you will. But it's also oh. a great way to represent all the animals out there and give us a, a snapshot a snapshot of the quality of of animals that are out there and to see in a way how wildlife management 
is doing or not. Yeah, you know, here's because we make a big point about it when when you come to our awards program at our at our convention. I mean, it's we make it pretty clear right up front that we're recognizing, you know, the animal and the trophy, not as much the hunter. It's why we don't do, you know, uh, you know, the deer slams and things like that, because that tends to focus more on the hunter. We tend to focus more on the animal. But I do have one of my favorite stories from doing trade shows for, I don't know, probably 30 years. And I was at Dallas Safari Club three years ago, and uh, I was sitting there working the booth and, and visiting with people and and uh, and having a pretty good show. It was my first show as, as the ED. And I had a couple of guys come up to the to the booth, and it was... Uh, you know, probably a, a couple of hunting partners and it was one guy pushing his buddy in a wheelchair. And, um, uh, you know, I'll have to go back and research. I, I wish I could remember his name because it was very inspiring for me. But as I was sitting there, the guy in the wheelchair um, wasn't able to talk, but he had an iPad that he could write on. And so th these guys come up and, you know, they're, we're visiting with them and and the buddy who was pushing the chair, he says, Hey, he says, don't you have a couple of bucks in, in the record book? And the guy, you could just see it in his eyes. They just lit up and he's, you know, he kind of nods his head a little bit and he, he's, his buddy's like, you remember the, the scores of those bucks and the guy, you just see it on his face. He's, he knew it. And so he wrote down the scores and we had a record book an all time record book sitting right there on the table. And so while they were standing in front of us, we looked up those two bucks that he had in our records program in the book. And, you know, here's a guy, I, you know, I don't know if it was a, you know, an accident or a, or a, or a stroke or something, but, but here's a guy who's probably not going to be crawling back up a tree stand, you know, anytime soon. And for however long it was, whether it was the next 10 minutes or whether it was the next two hours or whether it was the rest of that day, you could see in his eyes that he was right back there to climbing up the tree stand and getting, you know, his buck of a lifetime. And, and it was really, really an inspirational moment for me. And he signed up right there for a, for a three year extended his membership for three years, right on the spot. And so wow. I just, that was just, you know, people say, well, why should I enter my buck? And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we tell them, well, you know, we have wildlife management, you know, organizations that use that for harvest statistics and to track trends and in, in antler, you know, there, there's a lot of things that our data gets used for, but when it comes down to why I should do it, that's probably the coolest reason is because someday every one of us on this podcast and every one of us listening to this podcast there's going to be a day where we're just not going to be able to make it up the tree or across the field and uh trust me it's going to be sooner than we want it to be and when that happens it's sure nice to be able to look back and reflect and say hey look at this 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 is so that that for me was a neat neat opportunity to meet a, a member and and uh just see have that whole experience it is cool you know 
I don't think that some people realize how difficult it can be to take an animal that's that scores in enough inches to qualify to get into the book. But to know that there's that many animals, and I don't think we, sh- I don't think we scratch the surface much on the harvest that has gone on in the past with how many animals that probably would qualify to be in whatever book you're talking about. We probably don't get, but maybe 5% of those, but it's still, it's still an, um, a select amount that you can trend on and you can look at. But like you just said, it's also a great piece of history. I was thrilled. I mean, I knew my grandfather's buck was going to make the book. I didn't know where it would land. At the time, it was the 10th, at the time of entry, it was the 10th largest non-typical mule deer that had ever been recorded in the state of Oregon. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't another 10 that are bigger that just haven't been measured and, and submitted. But it's so cool to look at the the history of the book. You can you can find animals that were taken 60, 70 years ago in, a, in maybe a county that you live in, and it gives you a little bit of hope. It gives you a little bit of thought as to, wow, you know, maybe, maybe there's a whitetail right here that's, that's quite large. And I don't necessarily even look at the names, you know, I'm looking more at when, where, and the size, because you have classes of animals in your mind when you're hunting, you know, that makes book and that's, that's even large, you know, people talk about all the time, oh, that's a, a 150 class, or that's a, you know, that's definitely a a 300-inch bull or whatever it is. We are using our records program and our numbers as a way to gauge and measure visually what an animal is. And so when you see those hunting shows where they go, oh, the score doesn't matter to me. I like that they're not only about the score, but in the same breath or in the next frame, they're going, I think that's about a 300-class bull. They're still using the system. Maybe they say it that way because they don't want to be perceived as a ruthless trophy hunter. But when you do find success and kill a trophy, one that might make the record books, what an honor it is to put that in. That's, I guess maybe if I had every species in the world, maybe I'd look at it different. I don't know. But, you know, when I, when I took that bull this year, that I knew when I walked up to it, it was going to make the book. I just knew. It was so far the best hunt that I've had in my life. And it wasn't because it made the book. It was because I had been trying to do it. And I finally succeeded in doing it. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, you know, one of the things that I see, cause you mentioned, you know, we don't get every, all the records that are, are shot out there, but one of the things that we do get is legitimate, I mean, your job is to double check every single entry for the score, make sure it's scored correctly. The points are, I mean, that that's basically what you do is double check to make sure you know, our measures are fantastic, but we just, you know, look it over to make sure everything is, is copacetic. And, you know, if I, if I go to Facebook, man, I, I see a thousand people shooting a 200 inch deer every, every weekend. But, you know, when you look at some of those pictures, it's like, you know, I, I understand that you've 
put the deer on the hood of your truck and you're standing on the tailgate behind it, you know, 22 feet away to make it look bigger. <laughs> you know, here, here's, here's the no BS assessment. Exactly. If you, sh- if you shoot it's a like deer, trout fisherman, you can, yeah. you can long arm them all you want, but when it comes down to it, put a tape on it and weigh it. Is that trout really what you said? Well, same with a buck. And it doesn't really even matter if it is or isn't what you thought, but you now, but you now have a tool in your chest of, of hunting that when you thought this buck was this, and now you know it's this, whether it's larger or smaller, you now in the field can look at animals and have a better understanding of what you're seeing. I don't think that those guys are necessarily trying to inflate the number and, and BS us. I think maybe they don't really know how to measure you know, that's possible. Well, I think it's probably both. I think some people don't. Some people guess. And, you know, very rarely do we ever guess smaller than what it really is. And so here's the deal. Your buddy says, hey, I shot this, you know, 200-inch buck. Well, show me the score sheet. I'll go look it up. You can look it up online in a matter of seconds. And if they did, then they did. And if 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 they tell you they got a Pope and Young buck and it ain't in the books, they didn't shoot a Pope and Young buck. Yep, they That's- shot a buck. And, and you know, it, it's, it's an honor. It's great to be able to put that out there on your, you know, whether you, to the guy we met at convention, whether you're getting a tattoo of it on your arm or you're going to hang a your certificate on the wall or if it just goes into an envelope and into your desk, you still know. You still know. Maybe you thought it was this. But here's the, like you said, no bones about it. Here is the score. We do evaluate and look over every entry. We want to make sure that no mistakes were made. We want to make sure we captured all the information that we asked for so that, one, it's categorized correctly. But, two, I want every person out there that looks at the records or hears about the records to know that there is massive integrity. I mean, we could even get into talking about panel and why we we have panel, but it's really like a soft audit of ourselves to make sure that what we taught a measure 20 years ago or two years ago, they're still performing the volunteer duty of being a measure correctly. And, you know, we do, some people do make mistakes. We find those, we get them corrected. But to have a record book, and to have all this data, I think we have more records than any other record book, at least in North America. To have all this data, you want to believe data and know that the data yeah. is solid. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's impressive when you look at, you, you don't realize exactly how many data points there are until you start looking at going through, you know, a hundred and some literal file cabinets of of records, um, you know, I mean, just, just to see that you kind of took it for granted when, until we had to move them all and, and find space for them and it takes a chunk of room, but it does. And the nice thing, you know, with technology and, and just moving forward in time, we're now all of our entries for at least the last four years are all stored digitally. Uh, we can, access the actual images and the and the score sheets automatically and and the beautiful part about that is is that it speeds up the process for the time in which you meet the measure 
he puts his John Hancock on it and says, we're submitting it for entry from, from that moment until you get it back. If the entry is clean and without mistakes or missing pieces, because of technology, we can, we can turn that application and acceptance into the record book over a lot quicker. I mean, sometimes we get done in a week. If things are missing or we have questions, I mean, it could take a month or two. But I remember years ago, as a measure, stuff would often take three or four months. Yeah. I, I saw something the other day online that they had gotten it from the time they sent it in to the time they got it back was like two weeks, which is just unheard of. Yeah, you know, we accept entries electronically from the measures now. We still accept them in the mail, obviously. But if you think about how the speed of mail hasn't really changed, snail mail, if it's from the day they put it in an envelope, that might be three days after it was measured or three weeks, and it's six days to get here. We process it. If we get that done in two weeks, and we put it back in the mail, it's another six days to get back to you. I mean, electronically, the measures are sending us digital copies. That's going right into our system within a day. And then we're turning around and, and mailing it out. I mean, it's not difficult to get these turned around in in 10 days if everything's clean, the payment processes, and no mistakes or or, you know, there's no missing photos. If everything's clean, it's it can be a fast process. Yeah. What's the number one thing that you see, like, like corrections that have to be made? What do you think the number one thing is? If, if we could just fix that, that would take care of a big chunk of of the corrections. Yeah. Um, making sure. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the biggest thing, but it's probably the most important. Making sure that. The animals measured after a 60-day drying period. We check it. We catch a few, but it's the most critical and and important. You know, we have we have entries that come in that oh, we're missing the proper photos, or maybe the location of kill wasn't written down, like county and state, or if you're in Alaska, or I mean Canada, excuse me. We need to know a landmark. Um, Sometimes the forms are a little bit old, so it doesn't ask the questions about the bow equipment because we do have position statements on on equipment and fair chase, and we need to make sure that the applications being submitted meet that. So we ask about like the bow site. That's probably the number one thing. We need to know the, the make and model of your bow site because in our fair chase rules, we don't allow or accept entries where an animal is taken using uh, range-finding bow sight or bow sights that have electronics on them like lights. So just the, the application seems monotonous sometimes because it asks a lot of questions. And I have people all the time go, I don't know what my arrow is. And I'm like, but you should. <laughs> so now's a great time to learn what your arrow is. And we track that, you know. You talked about this data gets used, and I got a call from uh, a bow hunting magazine. They were doing follow-up research five years later from an article they wrote, I think in 2015. And they've got this grad student at, I believe, the University of Auburn studying our data to determine 
if technology is improving um, the effectiveness of our hunting or not? And more importantly, has technology lengthened our very first shot at an animal? And we, we ask the hunter information about each and every shot, the distance, how far the animal traveled. We ask about weather and various things like this. But 10 years ago, they, you know, as an example, did somebody take a shot that everybody on average shoot at whitetail at an average distance and now with technology, bows, whatever it is, has that shot distance grown? Because that's the concern in some in some realms of, of hunting that technology is going to take us down the wrong path. And I haven't seen their data yet. I'm kind of curious to see what this follow-up um, article will read like. My gut tells me that it hasn't, but maybe I'm wrong. I'll tell you what. I was well, surprised. And- Go ahead, Dylan. I was going to say, like, that's, I get so many questions about why enter your animal. If you really don't care about score, why enter your animal? And it's for studies and things like this, it's a, it's a perfect example of why. I mean, there is so much more just to animals than just a score. And this is part of that. So we can go back and look at historical data for animals that were harvested, how far, what time, when. I mean, it's a perfect example of, of why you should put your animals in the books. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's what, pretty fascinating data. When you when you start looking at shot shot uh, distances, um, it was interesting for me when I saw the the Pope and Young World Record 3D course at the Mountain Archery Festival. It is because they they try to replicate the shot distance on that course, and most of them are not long shots. They're I think that. Uh, I can't remember, but I think the average for that course is like in the 20 some yard range. It it was really, I think it's 27, I think 27. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting to me because, you know, you just, you think of, wow, what's the opportunity at, at seeing a world record. And you think of having to stretch it out a little bit and it's absolutely not the case. So. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I remember when we were there and the, and the, People coming off the hill were telling us, you know, their experience and what they thought of the course and and the targets and everything like that. And and I don't remember who was talking to me about how what they were trying to replicate. And I kind of laughed a little bit because I know a lot of those animals aren't high mountain animals. <laughs> so I think part of that experience might have been a a little bit um, unfair because because some of those guys coming off that mountain and I didn't go shoot it. But some of those guys coming off that mountain were flat, exhausted. Yeah. So, Tim, if if, um, if you had to see, you know, if, if you're looking in your crystal ball at at things that we could do, I know we're, we're looking to, um, especially after not having a workshop due to COVID for the last, you know, year and a half plus, um, you know, adding measures, um, making it easier for people to enter, you know, wh- where's your, as the director of records, what's your vision for this program? You know, we, we talked about this the other day. I think that um, obviously for the club, the more records we get, the more we can do with the money for our programs. 
we're getting a lot of entries in per year, and the number stays pretty consistent, even surprisingly through COVID. Um, I've learned that there's a lot of measuring events that go on that our Pope and Young measures are represented at. They're at a lot of different shows out there. I would love to see every measure find one old buck. Yes, we measure all the new stuff. Hey, we're going to sports shows. I need to get this animal measured right away to, to get the highest score that it, it might have if there might be a little more shrinkage. But I'm fascinated, too, by those animals that were taken 20, 30 years ago. Um, it'd be neat if, we, if every measure out there could get just one older, you know, an animal taken years ago. That would be neat for me. But I can, the trends that I'm just seeing in six months, um, you know, we're taking more and more animals by bow that, that are tickling, getting close to those top five or even world record status. Um, and I don't think it's because of technology. I think people are hunting harder. I think people are learning. And a lot of these guys have a lot of experience that are doing this. But I think it's an omen or a, a, good, a good sign that wildlife management is doing well in, in many areas. Um, maybe not so much in my home state, but in a lot of areas it is. And with good wildlife management and hunter opportunity, there's going to be a continual stream and interest in the record books. If you're having a hard time finding a measure in your area, we want to know that. Um, you may have a hard time and not find somebody right away. We can help you find someone, but then I also need to know that. Um, I think you were mentioning the other day, we're looking to definitely ramp up and get a few more measures in the Texas area. Um, where I used to live, there were four or five measures and we measured a bit and then four of them moved and I was measuring a ton and now I've moved and there's nobody there. So we want to get measures like in that Portland area. If we can get measures, first and get new measures out there they're going to find stuff that we've not heard of before there might be two three world records in somebody's home and they don't even know it i truly believe that wouldn't that be something it would yeah already That's already this year besides chuck adams new world record that we special paneled and verified We've had two entries come in where their animal is one-eighth off of a world record. Wow. I mean, sometimes we think, oh, like, in Oregon, it's like nobody ever sees a non-typical mule deer that big anymore. If, if they are, in today's day and age, you think you hear about it in social media, but you get surprised. You get surprised. And um, there are still big animals being taken. And uh, it gives you hope, right? I mean, that's another great thing about the record book. It gives you hope. <laughs> yeah, and it's a testament to the North American wa model of wildlife conservation. You know, I mean, it's working. We would not be getting, you know, world records uh, basically every year if if that was not working. You know, if, if the wildlife populations were not... Uh, you know, growing and the trophy quality was not there. You just wouldn't see it. So I'm not saying that it's perfect everywhere, but for the most part, 
things are, are really good. You know, the good old days are right now. Definitely some of them are. I agree. I agree. It's sad right now. I believe I've, I've heard many times that, that uh, at least right now we can't hunt, hunt excuse me, um, the Quebec Labrador caribou. That's, that's a sad point. Um, yeah. There's something going on there. Professionals are probably getting after. But now if we see a Quebec Labrador caribou come in to, you know, through the measuring process to be submitted to the book, they're taken in the past. They're not, they're not hunting them right now. And I hope they, I hope maybe our data or any data that they can find, whatever they find, I hope they can find a way to, to recover that species and, and make them available again. It's, I, you know, I've heard some encouraging things on that. I, nothing rock oh, solid, but I have heard some encouraging things. So if, if you could go out and get one world record, which one would it be? Me? Oh, yeah. wow. You know, I ask a similar question to a lot of the people I meet. And it's a similar, I ask them, if you had one more hunt left in you, what would it be? <clears throat> but to get a world record, um, you know, I could think of, of animals that, that maybe, because I haven't hunted them, don't, make, don't seem to want to float to the top of that list. But because I've hunted blacktail for so long and have taken very few trophy quality animals, I think that would be, that would be a huge accomplishment in my world and in, in my mind, because I've tried so hard and I'm only here, you know, now, if I were to go hunt moose for the very first time in Alaska and it was a world record, I don't know if I'd appreciate it as much. I'm sure I would, but you know, I think that species that you target the most, I think that would probably be the most satisfying. That's my thought anyway. Okay. I've got to completely agree with Tim on that and go with whitetails. For me, I mean, uh, whitetails the most, the animal I chase the most, but also, Tim, you might be able to answer this. Is the Mel Johnson buck the longest standing record we have? I don't know. I, I, could, I could look that up and, and get back to you, but I don't know if that's our longest standing. It's got to be close. Uh, more. It's got to be close, but uh, I think due to typical whitetail um, standing for so long, I think it'd be cool to break that, but also, yeah, it's that animal that I that I put all my eggs in one basket. And I chase the most, you know. Um, sure. How about you, Jason? You know, I was it, it was interesting because I thought, you know, being a Western guy, I figured Tim would say, you know, mule deer because there's, you know, some, kind of an allure for big muleys or, you know, maybe a, maybe an elk. Um, so I just didn't know. It's always interesting to me. Um, which one? Yeah, you said to get a world record, I think that would be my most satisfying. I think I agree with 90% of the people that I've talked to in the last six months when I've represented Pope and Young, like Warren Strickland, and they, most, everybody says, if I could only hunt one more animal, it'd be elk. And yeah. that's fascinating to me. That was, that's Chuck it's Adams, no surprise. Too. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, well, Tim, here's, here's the one question that we ask every guest on our show is when you're out in the woods or up on the mountain, what is one piece of, of maybe non-traditional gear that we'd find in your backpack? Funny that you asked that because I was thinking of that today when I was sitting in a tree stand hearing 
uh, Husco, Oklahoma, trying to shoot a whitetail, and I found this in my pack. Um, I've got a very close relationship with my daughter, but she's so far away, off to college and, and living life, that I don't get to see her very often. I always keep a photo of her in my, in my license sleeve, and since she was little, I always pick up a rock wherever I'm hunting, and she has a jar where I've picked up a rock in Montana or now in Oklahoma. Just a little tradition, but also maybe not in my pack, but while I hunt, she bought me a hat from the University of South Florida that's camouflage, and it is the luckiest hat I have ever owned. I'm wearing it right now. I wear it all the time, and I've been on a little bit of a heater the last four years. So a picture of her, a rock for her, and my lucky hat. Nice. That's that's a good one. I'll take that. Uh, I've I've had a and few a lucky bar. hats in my day, so but I, I'm due for a new one anytime. I think <laughs> it's, you're always, you always thankful for the lucky hat you got until suddenly you start thinking it's the hat that's causing your your downturn, and then you got to get a new one. <laughs> yeah, and you know usually, sometimes you just need a fresh hat. It's usually the hat that starts making the downturn when you've hunted out of it for so long that it smells so bad that animals can smell it from. Hundred yards away. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. I I had an old hat I loved, and I'd seen one of those things at the store. You stick your hat in it. And it's plastic. You stick your hat in the dishwasher to clean it. <laughs> I thought, oh, cool. My hat smells so bad. It came out. It was no longer camouflage. It sucked all the color right out of it. I'll never forget that. I was so mad that my lucky hat got ruined in the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah. Mine. <laughs> I I get. You know, it's a lot of times when we're in both season in the west it's man 90 or 100 degrees out there and um i'll tell you what i get i i just get the sweat stains on the base of mine and that that's the the kiss of death for most of my hats yeah i'm pretty hat rich i've got boxes and boxes and things of hats most of my i don't know i'm kind of particular about the style that i like but when she bought me this hat it just was it was a no-brainer i didn't even i didn't care the style the make the whatever and i Slapped it on, and I mean, my fishing has gone golden. My my hunting's improved. I've even gained weight during all this, and my hunting's still doing pretty good. So it's got to be the hat. Got to be the hat. So, well, Tim, I'll tell you what. Um, I appreciate you know we've been talking about getting you on the show for a while, and um, it, and so I'm I'm glad it worked out for us to do this and for us to kick off 22. Um, talking to the records director and see your vision and and hear about it. I know you and and Roy work very closely together, and he's done a tremendous job as our as our records chairman. So, Roy, if you're listening, Roy Grace, thank you for what you do um, to make this go. And and uh, and we're looking forward to uh, another sixty years. I look forward to meeting all the measures. I've met a few of them already. Um, I'll see him at some shows. I'll see him around, maybe at convention. Would love to see. I'd love to see convention double in size, even if it was just all of our measures. It'd be just a great time to shake hands and meet because you talk to them on the phone, you see the work they're doing. Um, just be great to, to say thank you in person. Absolutely. Well, hey, Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, if anybody needs, like we said earlier, if you see us at the shows, come up. Tell us you heard about it on the podcast. We'll have a free gift for you. 
and uh, we'll see you. If we don't see you out in the field, we'll see you on the show circuit. So thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day and uh, hope your new year is going fantastic.